0: Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. Today we're going to conclude looking at why our core values are so important. Why are they so important? How do they affect what we do as a community of followers of Jesus Christ? And how do they affect my life, your life, and our life? With well, that being said, I want to read two passages of Scripture up front. You see them there. If you do not have a sermon card, you can raise your hand, and uh, someone will get you one. And, uh, but you see these passages there at the top, the first being in Psalm Psalm 133, beginning in verse 1. It says, A song of ascent of David. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron. Running down on the edge of his garments, it is like the dew of Hermon. Descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. The next is in the Gospel of John, John 17, beginning in verse 15. Jesus says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the evil one. Jesus believed in the devil. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Jesus believed in the authority of Scripture. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Verse 19, and for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by the truth. I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me and the glory which you gave me I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one, I in them and you in me. And they may be made perfect in one that the world may know that you have sent me and have loved me and have loved them as you have loved me. I want to preach a message to you today simply titled titled United Core." Will you say that with me? United Core." I want to remind you if you were out uh, one week or any week that you can go on our webpage and there under media and find previous sermons. Um, so that you can always be up to speed of what God is saying to this community. Before I move forward, let me pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that people today would be loosed, that they would be let go. Lord, from wrong appetites, that Lord they would be let go and loosed and freed from wrong burdens upon backs. I pray in Jesus' mighty name that people's souls would be loosed from lies and generational curses, God, in the mighty name of Jesus. Lord, I pray for this community and persons that we would be bound and tied to the blood of Jesus and the power of his body that was broken, that we would be bound to your mercy and to your grace, God. Lord, we pray that you would find this place a place where you could exalt Jesus, where you could manifest your kingdom, where you could do signs and wonders among us. Lord, I yield to you, Holy Spirit. Have your way. Speak. Do what only you can do. We thank you that you're a supernatural God that's given us a supernatural gospel that is communicated by a supernatural Holy Spirit. And for this, we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Did you notice there? Psalms 133 That David likens unity as a positive and a possible experience. Notice David says how good and how pleasant it is. David says it's like a person having precious oil upon them, it's like the mountains having the needed dew to produce. The harvest. David says unity is the place where God commands the blessing. You know, there's what's called the law of first reference. It's looking at the first time a, a phrase or a word or an idea is communicated or revealed by God in Scripture. The first mention of the blessing in Scripture is by Moses as he gives account of the beginning of creation. He says that God blessed the first man and the first woman. That's enough right there to stop and I could just preach for days. It means you were not created for the curses that's tried to stay in your life. You were not created to be held back and held down and bound up and afflicted by sins, torment by the enemy's demonic fear. No, the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve, they were blessed by God. And the Scripture clearly demonstrates what the blessing was, that they were empowered for fruitfulness. They were empowered to glorify God upon the earth. They were empowered to walk and express the will of God and the image of God, that they were empowered to see God's image and His kingdom multiply across the earth. And Adam and Eve, listen, they were unified. They were unified in that purpose, in that blessing. Then we see in John 17, Jesus on the night of His betrayal, He's with His apostles, the, the ones that He would send to, to represent both in word and in deed the message of Christ and the kingdom in the beginning of the days of the church. And they are present with Him and He prays to the Father on behalf of them and even us who believe today. Listen to me. You're not an afterthought. You're a forethought that led Jesus to the cross, that led Jesus to shed His blood, that allowed Him to be crucified and hung between heaven and earth and to be buried and be raised victorious three days later. He prays for even us who believe today and He prays that followers of Him would be one, that we would be united and unified in being kept from the evil one. That we would be kept from worldliness. That we would be set apart by His Word, which is truth. Which sanctifies. Which causes us, when it runs its course in our life, that causes us to stand out. To shine out the goodness of God. That we would be one so that we could be sent back into the world. That the world would know experientially that Jesus is of God, that Jesus is from God, and Jesus is the only way to God. That the world would simply believe. Notice how Jesus' prayer, it ties back to David's prayer. David speaks of unity and the benefits of it and the blessing of it and how good it is. And Jesus prays to the Father for His people to be warned, that we would be sanctified, we would be set apart of one mind, of one purpose, seeking after God's original intent for us, to experience the blessing and the empowerment for His will, for His glory, for fruitfulness, that we would be able to be sent back into the world to see the people around us, our neighbors and our family members and our loved ones and our co-workers believe that Jesus is the King and that the kingdom is here. We've spent the last four weeks looking at unifying core values, all derived in Scripture. When we think of the importance of core values and the importance of core values for our activities as a local community, a local group of followers of Jesus Christ, when we think about the importance of core values for our daily movement and our daily actions and our daily activities, and when we think about the importance of core values for what we do, they are like core muscles to the human body. See, core muscles, core muscles of the human body are commonly referred to as the body's core what's interesting and important to know up front today is the core of the body affects the rest of the body significantly. In fact, one fitness guru, you could say, or fitness fanatic, says the core is incorporated in almost every movement of the human body. Jesus and His apostles inform us that as followers of Christ, we make up the body of Christ. That we are individually members of the one body of Christ. And likewise, just as the core muscles are incorporated in almost every movement of the human body, core values affect and are incorporated in almost every movement of the body of Christ. And almost every movement of us as a local community of followers of Christ called Dwelling Place Church. When you begin to learn about core muscles, you find, or maybe you're like me because I find it very interesting that the major core muscles reside in the area of the belly and the area of the mid and lower back. Now, the majority of core muscles, they, they dwell in the belly and in the back. Bellies and back. That's what I he- heard all week. I hear it like a like a rocket on the inside of me. Bellies and backs. Bellies and backs. I have this question for us here today at Dwelling Place Movement in D.P. Woodstock. What if the multiplication of believers, leaders, and churches really comes down to bellies and backs? What if us seeing the fulfillment of what God's mission is for this community of followers of His Son, His exalted Son, Jesus Christ. What if the fulfillment of the mission ultimately boils down to bellies and backs? See, bellies represent appetites. It's our belly that many of us have already set on a timer that we will seek to s- serve and feel after this gathering, and some of you are more well-planned than others who hang out in the lobby and for about 15 and 20 minutes seek to find out where they're going to go to eat. You already have it planned. You have it mapped out, map-quested. You know your direct route. You know the backup route. Some of you, you got it scheduled the next six months where you're going. I mean, you're planned out. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you come and annoying pray for me end of this service. But bellies represent appetites. It's our belly that we seek to feel when hunger pains persist. What do backs represent? Backs represent our aptitude. Now, for those that are not great in the English language like myself, let me help us out. And aptitude is the ability or capacity for something. It is our backs that can carry loads and weights and also affects our walk. Another way of saying this is that our core values that you see, discipleship and worship and fellowship and stewardship, our core values are to affect our appetites and our aptitude. They're to affect our desires. They're to affect our ability to carry and move forward in God's purpose. Let me talk to you about appetite and aptitude. When we first look at appetite, listen, we all have appetites. No, I'm not just meaning physical appetites where some of you, were still waiting on you to repent so you love guacamole and avocados and get with the rest of us who's on the guac train. So not not just that we have differences and taste buds and physical appetites, but listen, we all have appetites and desires regarding our life. Worship, discipleship, fellowship, stewardship are core values. They are primary means that the Lord works through regarding our appetites. Their primary means that God works through regarding our desires, regarding our ambitions, regarding what is driving us in life, consciously or subconsciously. And this is important. You know why? It's not just important to me. It should be important to every one of us. This is important to you. You know why? Because Scripture speaks of people who harm themselves because of wrong appetites. Because of wrong appetites. When you think about an appetite, an appetite dictates your energy. It dictates your resource. It dictates what you're planning. It dictates what you're going to do. It dictates so much of life appetites do. And that's why our core values greatly affect our going because our core values greatly affect us and our ability to go because core values affect our appetites and appetites affect where we're going in life. Where we're going in life. Remember what Jesus said? That ultimately, we're to be going back into the world as sent people, manifesting and living the culture of the king and his kingdom, that they may believe that Jesus is not a way, he is the way. He is not just a truth. He is the truth. He is the life. That fulfillment is only found truly in Him. That contentment is found only truly in Him. Because, listen, our going is affected by our appetites and desires. What's interesting to note is that even without dealing with the other realities, such as the devil, such as the kingdom of darkness such as circumstances, such as other people's will that we can't control, that we're still in danger of being harmed by ourselves through our own appetites. Like I remember in my immaturity when I came back to the Lord of how much I wanted to put blame on the devil, when the reality is it was my own appetites bringing harm to myself. That so often in my immaturity I wanted to blame others if they would just do such and such, if they would just not treat me that way, if they would just help me. But the issue was my own appetites. We know that's the tendency of sin in our life and its effect on our life because the first man, the first woman, you see in the story of their failure, what do you begin to see? You begin to see blame. Now I want to ask you this question. It's a challenging question. It's a reflective question. What if God has sovereignly determined, sovereignly designed creation, sovereignly designed and determined the way He set things up to give you your heart's desire? Does that humble you? Or does that scare you? Or does that do both to you? Because in Romans 1, People wanted lies and they wanted their lust. So God eventually gave them up to their vile passions and their selfish desires. What if really everyone is spiritually hungry in the world? But some hunger for self-fulfillment and therefore they fill themselves with the fruit of selfish desires and ultimately still find themselves longing for contentment and true life and satisfaction, fulfillment. And what if others hunger for God's desires and therefore God transforms and fills them with the appetites of Christ? That they begin to be filled with the appetites of Christ for unity, for oneness of mind, and for sanctification and desires to know truth and have truth know them desires to be sent and to impact the world around them. See, what if the current harvest in your life, that's a way of saying your current experience is there because of your appetites. Wonder if the lack of godly harvest in areas of our life is because of our appetites. I think about Israel, how Israel hungered for meat in the wilderness when God supernaturally was providing manna daily, and yet God gave them their heart's desires, even though it was not what He desired for them. That creates a shaking reverence in my heart. Numbers 11 and 33. The text describing that story says, But while the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the wrath of the Lord was aroused against the people, and the Lord struck the people with a very great plague. So He called the name of that place, Kibroth Hatava, which means Graves of Craving, because there they buried the people who had yielded to craving. And I said to the Lord this week, God, I don't want to go to my grave with the wrong cravings. God, I don't want this church and I don't want this movement and I don't want us and I don't want you to go to our grave with wrong cravings. See, I have found that we all have wrong appetites. And I have found that we're all in this together. Therefore, there's no need to hide. There's no need to... Seek to cover up and suppress the reality that we all have wrong appetites, that we should come together knowing we have wrong appetites. But that's why we're hungering for God to come and to meet us in Jesus, to change our appetites and give us His. That we come together as a gathering not embarrassed and in shame but with a hunger of desperation saying, God, meet me in this aisle. Meet me in this altar. Meet me in my praise. That God, I understand that you've designed things where you'll give me the desires of my heart. Oh, let it not be my selfish desires but may you give me your desires and they become my desires. And I found... An amazing thing, despite what I've said thus far, that those who progress in God, that those who progress in following Jesus, they understand that God offers them an exchange, and those that progress and grow, they take Him up on the offer of His grace. They take Him up on this offer of grace to let Him rid them and uproot from them wrong cravings and exchange them for the desires of Jesus for them, what He wants to do through them. Wow. Could you imagine us as a community that we come in here knowing that an exchange can happen? That we come in here not already sort of predisposed that, yes, it's going to be decent worship and, yeah, maybe we're going to learn something in the sermon. But we come in here with an expectation that an exchange is going to happen, that we don't have to hide from these wrong cravings. God knows we have them and that's why He sent Jesus and we don't have to hide from each other because we already know that we all have them. But we come with an expectation and a hunger and worship to encounter Jesus who offers an exchange our selfish, earthly desires for His desires to impact the world around us. Wow. Could you imagine dwelling place Woodstock? Could you imagine the tangible expectation and excitement and hunger and praise when we gather together? When we understand the offer of His grace. The offer of His grace. See, here's the point. The importance of our core values or they are like safety nets keeping us from destroying ourselves. They're like safety nets. You know, normally everybody in here falls in one of the two major ditches. Either we're overconfident that we're good enough, smart enough to keep it all together, or we're the ditch of depression and we have so much self-wrath and self-hatred because of being aware of our weaknesses and failures. But Jesus is the way forward out of both of those extremes. And core values protect us from both of those extremes. I tell you today who's suffering more. I'm not talking about kingdom suffering. I'm talking about the type of suffering that Peter says is not God's will. Being busybodies, bringing harm upon themselves. I'll tell you today who's suffering more, those who don't worship. Those that's not being discipled. Those that are alone with no fellowship with other maturing believers. Those who are unwise with their stewardship. They're suffering more. Can you hear the words of Jesus today saying, come to me? I offer exchange. I I am grace personified. I am God's instrument for a great exchange. And that exchange on the inside can totally change the experience on the outside of your life. See, listen, core values are opportunities for me. Core values are opportunities for us. Core values are opportunities for you in a hectic life for us to repent from wrong appetites and to receive God's grace that creates His desires in and for us. Wow. See, that's the gospel. That if you'll come to Him with whatever cravings you have, whatever issues you have, whatever brokenness and dysfunction you have, He will do the change. He offers grace to all of us today. Paul the Apostle knew this well. He writes to the church in Philippi in Philippians 2 and verse 12. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Verse 13, for it is God, watch this, who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. Wow. You mean the gospel is is that God will do the necessary work? Yeah. And notice where God will work. He'll work in your will, in my will. He'll work in our will as a community. That we don't have to hide and say, you know what, the reality is, God, I've lost my edge and my desire and your zeal to see your kingdom touch my neighbor to touch my boss, to touch my co-workers, to touch this community. See, understanding grace in the gospel, there's, there's no hesitancy in that confession because we have found confession is a necessary part of the process to experience His grace. That truly when I confess that, Lord, I'm weak in this area of appetite, but I find that He's strong. That God, I can't suppress the cravings, but God, you can absolutely rid me of them. That's grace. That as much as I like my home state, I was born in the state of Kentucky, I don't have to support any longer the bourbon trade. God can purify others like he did me of cravings of Substance abuse. It's an offer of grace. Oh, may we be a church that accepts His offer of grace. May we come in here and be a people that run to His grace. May we come and open up all the areas of our life to His grace. May we not be ashamed of the gospel, of how it can change our cravings and give us Christ's purpose in us and through us. May we be unashamed that we need Jesus. What a shame that we need is Christ. I think of how amazing the gospel can pass from generation to generation. Of Caleb, he had been feeling bad uh, Friday, and he had a soccer game Saturday, and it was the first one I was actually going to be able to attend of his season. And I heard him. That morning before we left the house, he said, oh, it's going to be a great game. He was so confident. He was more confident than he performed, which is fine. It's a great place to start. But he said, you know, I'm going to get a hat trick today. And you know why? He said, because when I'm weak, he is strong. Boy, you want to talk about grace. That's how the gospel brings an understanding. God, when I have evil cravings, God, you have a cross that can cut it out and give me Jesus' desires. Oh, I imagine how great His desires are for you today. I imagine today how great His desires are for your marriage and your family and for this church and for this community and for this movement. And it's my prayer and hope that we would be united in the core values because they make a difference in our going. They make a difference in our appetite bellies our appetites, what are yours today? Do you have an appetite to be sanctified by God's truth? The interesting thing about truth is is that it affects our sanctification. That means areas we're not sanctified means we don't actually know what we think we know or we don't know what we need to know, meaning we need an outside source to speak truth to an area that needs to be set apart to God's grace and power. Meaning, Do you have a desire to be taught today? Do you have a desire to learn today? Do you have a desire understanding that none of us know at all and all of us need His grace? Do you have a desire to be sent back into the world? Sent back into your family that they can see the amazing grace of God that they who once knew who you were now see a different image through your life, a different fruit, a different spirit through your life? Do you desire that? Do you hunger that? Because it's taken me a while. To really personally understand the seasons I've been in, a long season. And I think it's finally hit this slow learner. That when I first came back to the cross in Jesus, my life was such a wreck. I had so many issues that the thought of thinking about other people's issues was laughable. That for years and years I had to get in the secret place because if I didn't get in the secret place, I couldn't even perform normally. Couldn't make it through the day. I needed the Lord to do something in me. And my hunger was, God, if you don't help me hold it together, I cannot hold it together. But what happens when you see the promises of God where the tears you sowed in the past become a harvest of His power in the present? What do you do when you're no longer needing to be so self focused in issues because you've learned to humble yourself and experience the exchange? What do you do? You feel lost. You feel not as hungry. You feel a little more apathetic. What do you do? And it finally, I think, is coming to me. You have the same hunger, but now it's not for you. It's now you hunger to see families restored. You hunger to see communities come to know the risen power of Jesus. You hunger for other people to experience the great exchange. You have the same tears. The same hunger, but it's for others to experience the goodness of God. Here's my point. God's brought some of you so far, and He's made you great in the sense of understanding His grace. But He wants that same hunger that brought you to this place of grace where now you hunger to see others made great in His grace to see others be made great in His grace, that we as a community don't just have like here and there a couple people made great in His grace, but we as a community wholly are great in His grace. Wow. Could you imagine a church where everybody's on board, united in the core to be made great in His grace? Not great in the eyes of our presidents and leaders and, and worldly people and things like that, but I'm talking about great in the eyes of our Father. Where others speak against us. Our father says, hey, son, daughter, I'm well pleased. Well pleased. Do we desire to see multiplication of believers and leaders in churches? Listen, God will give us the desires of our heart. And if those desires are wrong, he offers an exchange. And even if we don't know what desire should be there, he can give us his desires. It's one thing to desire it. Notice the Philippians 2, it says, For God works in you both to will, but He don't just leave us with having desires and the inability to perform it. Notice God will work in the will and then the ability to do it. Because God gives us the desires of our heart. This speaks to aptitude. Remember, aptitude is the ability or capacity for something. It's desire plus ability. It's desire plus the capacity to do and to perform. When you think about major core muscles that reside in the area of the mid and lower back, listen, the back determines our ability. Your physical back determines your ability. I think about my, my biological father who passed away two years ago, and I think about how his physical back and the pain from the fact that he broke his back of how that affected so much of the rest of his life and his relationships. Because it was the heyday of... Peels, 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 doctors pushed With no accountability with other people in your life, you understand that without accountability and people in love, that we're all vulnerable to move things to excess. Meaning our back affects our capacity and ability to perform in life. The core, the core values... Of worship, discipleship, and fellowship and stewardship, listen, they affect our ability, our capacity for functioning, for fruitfulness, and finding fulfillment in Christ. That's why they matter. That's why they matter. The core affects our ability. And listen, God desires to manifest Christ more. God desires to give us more of His promises, but we are called to be faithful to the core. We are called to be united in the core. We are called to be united in the core values and understand how their methods God uses to deal with our aptitudes and our aptitude. When you think about the core of the human body, the core affects a person's posture. Likewise for us as believers, the core values affect a person's posture. And you know why posture matters? Because James 4, 6 says, but God gives more grace. Listen, there's no one here on the sound of my voice or no one that will listen later or no one streaming live that you've received your limit of grace. God gives more grace. You know what God's posture is towards us? He's ready to give more grace. But He wants our involvement. We're not robots. And so therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. Notice to the humble, to the, those in a posture to receive His grace, He gives grace. This is the my role factor that we teach in growth phases. And I want to tell you today what I have to preach and tell myself, that you are unable to stay in the right posture without core values in your life. There are too many distractions, there's too many other influences And as a church, when we're united by the core values, listen, as a church, we're in a posture of humility for the ministry and the power of the Holy Spirit to move freely and to work miracles and wonders among us. The core values affects the posture of us as a community. Remember what David said in Psalms 133, 1? Behold how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Why? It's like the precious oil upon the head. The oil. Jesus and Scripture talks about the oil representing the blessing, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. God empowering us to do what we on our own could not do. There's oil for you today. There's more grace for you today. There's more of the ministry of the Holy Spirit for you. There's a blessing for you today, but we got to be unified in our desire for Him and His will for us. Next, the core, when you think about the core muscles. The core brings alignment to the body. And our core values brings alignment as a community. And what's interesting about alignment is alignment determines the ability to resist specific forces. When the body is out of align, the body cannot resist certain forces. They're vulnerable. And likewise for us as a church, when... When we're not submitted to God, we're more vulnerable. But when we're submitted to God, when our bellies and our appetites are submitted to God, then we resist. That means we have the aptitude, the capacity to resist the devil. And guess what will happen? He'll flee. Come on. I said he'll flee. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's why Paul tells the Philippians in Philippians 1.27, only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or absent, I may hear of your affairs. Here it is, that you stand fast. You know what that speaks to? Our backs. That we would stand fast, have an aptitude to stand fast. In one spirit, that's our bellies, Do we desire unity and the mission and vision of what God's called us. With one mind, it's our bellies, our aptitude. Our, uh, our appetites, striving together. There's our backs. So notice here you see desires in our capacity. You see bellies in our backs for the faith of the gospel and not in any way terrified by your adversary. Listen, that's the ability to resist, which is to them a proof of perdition, but to you a salvation and that from God. Listen, without alignment and everyone doing what seems good in their own sight, we are too vulnerable to certain attacks and plans of the enemy. But with alignment, we are are like how Israel operated in unity and alignment as one man when they dealt with the sin of the Benjamites in uh, Judges 20. It said they gathered together by the hundreds of thousands, but they gathered together as one man. Wow. Could you imagine what God could do with us in this community that when we gather together, we're united in the core values, we're united in what God's called us to be? Hallelujah. Wow. A united pursuit to be sent into the world that the world may believe. See, this is no longer just about me to believe. I already believe. So the rest of my life is not about me believing. I'm already a believer. The rest of my life is that I would be sanctified and set apart to be sent back to the world that the world may believe. The world may believe. So the core affects our posture. It affects our alignment. Next, the core is a stabilizer for movement. For movement. The core stabilizes us so that as we get it ready to move, we're able to do those movements without bringing further harm to us. So functional movements in the physical body are highly dependent on the core. And a lack of core muscular development can result in a predisposition to injury. Listen, we're going to see by God's grace, believers, leaders, and churches multiplied. But God wants us to do that movement in a way that we're stabilized through the core values. He don't want us to do what He's called us to do to our own injury. So that's why some of you are in seasons where it's not that God's opened so many doors with your neighbors and affecting us outwardly because He's trying to get you to accept the core values so you become stable so that when He begins to initiate your involvement in the movement of His kingdom, it doesn't lead to you being injured. Being injured. So this is why it's important to first achieve core stability to protect the spine and surrounding musculature from injury. The spine is tied to the nervous system. What it means is is God wants you and I to become stabilized in His mental and emotional health so that as we stretch out, as we follow Him back into the world, as we follow Him in the movement of His kingdom, it's flowing out of being stabilized emotionally and mentally as sanctified, surrendered, to His Lordship and His grace. This is why Paul in Galatians 6.5 says, For each one shall bear his own load. What that means is, is to seek expansion, to seek extending the kingdom to others, to seek bearing other people's burdens without the core stabilizing us for such movement, we are inevitable to fall into traps. And one of the traps is that the end always justifies the means. And I want to tell you that that's not the Father's heart for you. That the end of how He wants to be glorified in your life, He don't want to bring about that end in a way that harms your personal relationship with Him and your emotional and mental health. He wants your extension for His glory to flow out of the health that you've received because you've exchanged the wrong cravings for His grace and the work of Christ. The work of Christ. I think about how the only time I... Probably the only time, but the only time in this area I had a hernia. And I think about how I played sports my whole life. I was a college athlete, and yet the time I got a hernia was a time that I was no longer doing no physical activity. As my core began to weaken, I became vulnerable despite previous seasons of strengthening in it. This is why we worship. This is why we get discipled. This is why we fellowship. This is why we have stewardship to keep our core strong core strong. God desires our growth to be a healthy growth. Growth that flows out from our core growth and core strength that we're just naturally as a community moving into the next phase that the Lord has for us. The next phase that He has for us to influence the community around us. Next, you find out when you study about the core and its effects with the body is that the core transfers force from one extremity to the other or to another. Meaning, after we have stability, we then want to effectively and efficiently transfer and produce force during dynamic movements while maintaining core stability. This is why Paul, when he talks about you carrying your own load, In that context, he says, once you can carry your own load, then Galatians 6, 1, he says, then, brothers, sisters, if any man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Watch this. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. What's he saying? He's saying when we're stabilized, we can reach out without losing our stabilization. That we can start ministering one to another without it affecting our own stabilization. We can transfer the force and the ministry of the Holy Spirit through our hands and through our words and through our feet of service to others because it's flowing out of our stabilization and core being stabilized. So core values and our stability in them allow us to transfer force, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, from one member of the body to another member. That's why there's over 60 exhortations of Scripture to one another one another. Each part doing its share for the growth of the body. Look at Colossians 3 and verse 12. Casey, as you come, says, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another and forgiving one another. If anyone has to complain against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Let the peace of God Rule in your hearts, you were called in one body, be thankful, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching, watches, and diminishing one another. Notice the one anothering flows on you and I, what? First being stabilized in the new person we have become in Christ. The new character that you've exchanged, the old cravings for the new character of Christ. Meekness and tender mercy and humility and compassion and long-suffering and forgiveness and meekness kindness, love. The core affects a person's posture. The core brings alignment. The core is a stabilizer for movement. The core transfers force from one extremity to another, and the core initiates movement. Do you know, research has shown that athletes with higher core stability have a lower risk of injury. You know, Paul teaches that believers are like athletes competing. No, 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 we're not competing against each other. But we are competing against our flesh, our earthly passions. We are competing against this world the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life that is running a course away from the Creator. We are in competition to the devil and temptations. And what it's saying is is that the core and core values that we would be united in Him is important because impartation and multiplication of His kingdom is to flow out of a strong core. That you and I, and as a community, we would be strong in discipleship and worship and fellowship and stewardship. core affects the person's posture. The core brings alignment. The core is a stabilizer for movement. The core transfers force from one extremity to another. It affects our ability to carry more of the burdens of brothers and sisters. It, It affects our ability and capacity to move the mission and vision of Jesus Christ forward. It affects all of this. And ultimately it affects our core strength. Core strength is defined as the ability to produce force with respect to core stability, which is the ability to control the force we produce. I don't want us to move forward in what God has next for us, but we're moving forward in what God has, but we're doing it in an unstable way. Do you believe God has more for us? Do you believe God has more for our children? Do you believe God has more for this community through dwelling place, reaching them? Well, for us to reach out, to initiate movement, to initiate traction, to seek the next phase of what God has, we have to be a united core in worship, in discipleship, in fellowship, in stewardship. That there's not one family that's going to be able to carry the financial load it's going to take to reach more people in this community. It's not just gonna be six people being discipled that's going to be able to carry the burdens to bring others into worship of the only one true God and Jesus Christ He sent. We got to be united as a core. We got to be united in the core values. That's our core strength. Listen, God wants us strong and stable. Come on. He wants you strong and stable. He don't want us strong and susceptible. He wants us strong and stable. Notice in Psalms 133, 1, as the band comes, notice it's a song of ascents that He talks about unity. Can I say that as we ascend on this journey back to the real Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, to heaven, that as we ascend and we move forward to the mission and the vision of what God's called us to, That we, as we ascend and move forward, we would be strong and stable. I thought, what's a good way to put a picture to what strong and stable looks like? A picture of what God wants this community to be when He puts something. He puts a cedar of Lebanon in this community upon our heart. He puts a stronghold of the enemy that's in a family or in an area or a school that he wants us to reach and to serve? What does it look like for us a community to be strong and stable and to move forward to that tree that needs to be cut down, to those sins and the bondage and the oppression of the enemy that needs to be uprooted? What does it look like? And here's what I ended up with as I show this video. Come on, that's oppression in middle school and high school students being broken in the name of Jesus. Come on, that's generational curses upon families in this community being broken in Jesus' name. That's crooked places of character and depression and self-wrath being lifted up in the name of Jesus. That's things outside of God's will, bowing to the name of Jesus in His kingdom. But notice not one part, one part alone can accomplish that. And without all the parts being aligned, that machine can't accomplish that. Oh, but when the parts are interrelated and each doing its share and honoring, the other parts and aligned with what God has targeted oh by the power of God we can grind right through the stumps of the enemy in people's lives and in this community we can see the kingdom come we can see the joy of God hit homes that's never experienced that there's another kingdom that all they've known is the kingdom of Satan that the only God they've known is the God of Satan and his fear and his torment and his oppression we united as a core can move forward strong and stable our marriage is strong and stable our children strong and stable us as a community strong and stable our worship strong and stable our discipleship strong and stable our fellowship strong and stable our stewardship strong and stable come on am I speaking to anybody here today let's stand to our feet and say let us by God's grace be strong and stable and I want us to understand that we are always free to make an exchange that there never should be shame in the gospel that I need to come And I need to make an exchange of cravings for Christ that we would know the altar's open. There's no judgment. We already all know we have some cravings, some issues. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're believers in Jesus. That's why we're not believers in us, and it's not our gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus that we would be made great in His grace, strong and stable as we move forward into this next season that God has for us as a community.